as you find your seats, you can turn with me in your Psalms to Psalm 127. I just couldn't help during worship, just knowing that many of you here this morning, maybe you're our school family, preschool family, maybe you're visiting, and you're worshiping, you're thinking, Presbyterian church? Is this a Presbyterian church? This is not my old man's Presbyterian church. So uh, um, as you see, we get kind of excited about worshiping Jesus. Uh, it's awesome. I'm so grateful for those that God has gifted to lead us in worship. And again, it's our hope and prayer. It's not about performance. It's about Him. Welcome to Orangewood and welcome to Orangewood's dream come true. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Welcome to Orangewood's dream come true. It's been a dream of ours for a long time. Just this morning, uh, someone said that it was 20 years ago this month that we dedicated this building. We got excited about God providing us here. And uh, now, uh, some 20 years later, we can rejoice in what God has provided for us. A new education building. A new uh, building that, it's my hope and prayer, will be a blessing to each one of you, to your neighbors, to this community. Do you know those moments in your life? Have you had those dream come true moments? I'm sure you have. I mean, you're like me. Life's hard. Life's got it's more than its share of tears. But I'm sure along the way there's been those dream come true moments. Maybe it was uh, getting married. Maybe it was your first child. Maybe it was that promotion. Maybe it was a house. And maybe they need to fix this before I break my neck. At this time of the Olympics, uh, maybe it's a gold medal. Uh, just think about those athletes, those disciplined, chiseled athletes. I know it's hard to look at me and think of them, but uh, <laughs> who have really worked their whole life for one thing, for gold. And I'm just so excited, like those, those 10-year-old Chinese gymnasts that now have gotten the goal, you know, and the dream come true so early in their life. It was one of those dreams come true for a couple in our family, Steve and Lisa. Uh, You know them, you love them, they're awesome, and uh, great family, love Jesus, they want to raise their kids loving Jesus, God's blessed them, they've been a blessing to the community, and uh, they have a great marriage, and uh, their marriage includes walking around the neighborhood together, they probably whistle and hold hands, you know, it's kind of like Steve and Lisa. But they always saw this house, and this house that they saw in their walk, they loved. They loved everything about it. They loved the fact it was built in the 30s. They loved the fact that the family that lived there, the the husband and wife stayed together. They raised their family there. There seemed to be a lot of love there. There seemed to be history there. And they started to dream like you and I do. They dreamed that someday that'll be our house. Maybe someday. It'll be a stretch. It's one of those, you know, stretch kind of dreams. But uh, um, as the years continued and as the family dynamics changed for them, and really there was only, uh, I believe, the husband left. Uh, they were told by a realtor, why don't you make an offer? And you know those moments where you don't want to offend, you know, but you look at your cash, you say, this is what I can offer, and, and uh, I know the house is worth more, and it's got such a history, but this is all I got. And uh, so they kind of held off and prayed more about it, and the realtor really kind of kind of bugged them, go ahead and make an offer. So they did, they made an offer, and for their dream house, and, uh, you know, I said, God, whatever, you know, this would be great if you'd bless us with it. And you know what? They got the dream house. 
So it's a house, and they're excited. They're going to raise their family in it, and it's uh, cool. I mean, they don't build them like they used to. I mean, this is a 1930s house, and they had to have some renovation, uh, some things to do to kind of make it a uh, more of a livable uh, house with their family. And the engineers come, and the work crew comes, and they start finding problems. Uh, there's a bad foundation, and they can't figure it out. For some reason, they wrap the house in steel. Right before World War II, when there was an uh, apparently availability of steel, it was wrapped in steel. Um, so you would think, solid. But sadly, they wrapped it in seal, uh, steel, but one thing they forgot, foundation. They didn't have a foundation. Had a cellar, no foundation. As a matter of fact, when they looked at this two-story house, it was basically sitting on Florida sand. And they had to see their dream house be demolished. Because you can't build it. You can't build on it. You see, if you don't have the right foundation, the house will crumble. That's true with our lives. That's true with everything in our ministries. It's true with our, our new building. We look at this and say, okay, God, we got to make sure we have the right foundation. So this morning, as we rejoice in God's provision for a new building, and by the way, those of you who are visiting, let me tell you, when we built this building, we discovered a sinkhole underneath us. And, and we poured in, uh, how many uh, uh, cement trucks came here? A hundred? A hundred cement trucks pumped grout below you uh, to fill a sinkhole. So you really are on the solid rock right now of Christ Jesus. You may be from another church and not know about their foundation, but we're telling you right now, we got grout. And uh, you ask your pastor, do they have grout? We have grout. Thank you for laughing, Greg Holtzauer. Without the right foundation, our lives, our building, our ministries, our marriages, our children, our hopes, our future, our dreams can crumble. But God tells us in a word, there's a way that we can live our lives and build on our lives that can guarantee they won't crumble. So let's look at God's word. It's holy. It's, it's never going to lead us astray. I fully believe that it's without error. Uh, it's God's love letter to us. And so we're going to look to Psalm 127 this morning. It says this. The songs of ascent, you know, these are songs they would sing. Uh, the Israel nation would sing these songs as they ascended to the temple, into God's presence. And kind of on their journey, they would sing these songs as a reminder that they're going to meet with God. And he was good, and he was holy, and he was loving. And this particular one is of Solomon, uh, the one who is the builder of the temple. And he writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I love the duality of God building and using us as builders. But unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For He grants sleep to those He loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from Him. Interesting war motif here. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, a children born in one's youth. 
Blessed is the man whose quiver, a place they put arrows, is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let us pray. Father, we have this morning real incredible reason to rejoice. We got, we got new digs. We got new building. got new stuff. It's exciting. We've been watching the walls go up and we've been watching the transformation. And it's here. And God, we want to just say thank you. But Lord, we want to stop even as we open up your word and acknowledge unless you're in this, it's useless. It's vanity. It's going to crumble. And it's not just true of the building. It's true of me preaching. And Father, I'm a broken sinner who needs Jesus. I really do. And Father, I don't have words to say that will change a life. But Jesus has the word of life. He is the word of life. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken sinner saved by grace? God, would you, would you build the foundation of our lives and of our church even today through this message, through your living and holy word? You promise your word won't come back void. It won't be vanity. It won't be useless. So God, open up our ears to ha- hear the sandaled feet of a shepherd named Jesus. Spirit of living God, shine the light of Christ into our darkened minds so that we can understand this ancient psalm for your glory and for the health of your church and for this community, would you take hearts that don't believe, hearts that are cold, hearts that are kind of crusty with sin, and would you take them and break them so that we can respond to the message? And most of all, would you, through the power of your Spirit, cause us to walk in response to your Word so that we don't leave here just the same old folks that we leave here a little bit more like Jesus and that people can see him in our lives and in our church and that our gate in life, our walk in life, will look like his. That's our prayer. So, Father, the things that I say that are wrong, the things that I say that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, we ask that you would use those things to make us more like Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There will be an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along with me. But we're going to begin with this. We're going to begin with the futility of a foundation without Christ. Again, look to Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord is in this, unless this is for Christ and His kingdom, unless the presence of the Spirit of the living God is here, what we're doing is useless. Even our ministries, it says it's in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, those elders, those deacons, those leaders, we're doing it all in vain. God cares about the foundation of your life and my life and how we're building it and how we're leading it and how we're living our lives. And He cares about the foundation of His church. He calls it the Bride of Christ. And there's three components that this church is going to strive after. By the grace of God, because of what He's done in our hearts. And there's three things that we realize when it comes to building, whether it's building a congregation and, and growing and loving this community, or it's about building education buildings, or maybe someday, Lord willing, a, a sanctuary. 
Whatever God calls us to build, there's three things that we need to have as components to building. And it's not brick and mortar. And it's not the right contract. But these three things, I want you to know, it's, it's, you don't have to sit here and listen to the church. These are three things that's true about your life. And these are the three things that are true about my life. And if we want to build our lives in a way that God blesses and he smiles on us and he loves us and he's with us, these are three things. Let's get to them. The first one is this. The necessity to build according to his word. Jesus is the word made flesh. Uh, Jesus is God's word who has come to earth to tell us uh, how to know and love the Father. But also, it's this Jesus that, be, that has given to us this book containing 66 books called the Bible. And it's this church's belief by God's grace, I'm so excited, that we really believe it's more than a storybook full of fables. We believe that it's more than just theory. I know it, Bible wasn't meant to be a textbook. Let's don't try to use the Bible in ways that God never intended it to be. But God says that this word is living. He said that this word is active. That this is a useful word. That it's actually going to divide marrow and joint and bone and it's going to get into our souls. It said that this is the only way that your young people, my young people, can live holy and pure lives. The psalmist asked in Psalm 119, how in the world in the day of internet, how in the world in the day of what's happening can our young people live pure lives? You know what it says? Living according to your word. It should be the light unto our feet. This is our path. It's more than that. It's, it's a love letter. God wants to show us that throughout time, he's a God who engages with us. He loves us. He rescues us. He's with us. He's for us because we are forgetful people. We're gonna, it's going to leak out. Every morning we go to bed, it seems to leak out that we forget about who God is and what he's done. So he's told us, live your life according to the book. That's what this church stands on. This is our authority. The authority is not in the elders. It's not in the pastors. It's not in the presbytery. It's not in the PCA. Our authority's here. So if you're visiting with us, let me just lift, let you very well know that we see that Psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house that we're building in vain, this is the Lord's house. And he's also talking about your individual homes here, especially when it gets to the children. Are you living your life according to the word? Do you, do you, do you love it? It's hard sometimes. I'll tell you, I read it by God's grace. I've I read it several times through and try to do that every year. There's times I read it and say, well, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? Will you help me out here? But I submit to it. Your elders submit to it. Your pastor submits to it. Your deacons submit to it. Your women's leaders submit to it. Your church, the church school here submits to it. This is what we believe it's all about. This will never lead us astray. Never, ever, ever. It'll never lead us wrong. Unless the Lord builds a house, we're going to build it right here. That's the one thing. The second thing is to build for his glory. Psalm 115.1 is so important. It's really it's kind of the heart of my ministry here at Orangewood. As a matter of fact, we have a motto. What's a motto? Nothing. What's a motto with you? Okay, it's on our bulletin. Um, it says, not unto us, not unto us, but to your name be the glory of Psalm 115. So we've taken that, that scriptural truth, and we said, you know what? This church is going to be about Christ, his name, his fame, his glory, his reputation, his worship. We're going to be about Christ and his kingdom. That Jesus has come announcing a kingdom of heaven has come. That he invites us into this great relationship. That he wants to advance through us. Unbelievable. So we have a motto here that says this. For Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us. Why? Because I always forget that it's not about Jeff. 
Truth is in my flesh, I want it all about me. I really do. Go tell your friends about me. Tell them, you know, no, don't do that. Go tell your friends about Jesus. I forget, and God's word says, not unto us, people, but unto God's name be the glory. Listen, if we built a new education building just so the name of Orangewood's a little well known, we failed. If we built an education uh, building just so that we have a better reputation in the community, we failed. If we built an education and it makes us just feel better and look at us, we failed. But if Jesus uses that building, brick and mortar, to make kids, young people, adults fall in love with Jesus, to know Him and make Him known, if this is a refuge, a place where we can grow in Him, if we can see this as His and we're simply stewards of it, then we are building upon a solid rock. Everything else is vanity. So we need God's Word. It's got to be done for His glory. And it also has to have Jesus as the foundation. I'm going to ask you to turn with me. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, it's toward the back of your Bible. It's a letter that Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he wrote, talking about foundation and all the things we build on. Again, not just building, but he's talking more about ministry. He's talking about more about our lives. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.10. By the grace of God has, by the grace God has given me, Paul writes, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. What Paul is saying is this, is God called Paul to start churches. So he was kind of laying the foundation as a wise builder. God raised up other people to come and, and help with the ministry. It's kind of like this. God raised up Chuck Green, our founding pastor here, to start this church. And now he's calling others to build on that. But even Chuck's ministry, my ministry, Bob Cargo's ministry, I see Vaughn Stanley here. He ministered here. All the ministers. We're all building only on Christ's church, what the apostles started by God's grace. But the foundation has to be Jesus. But each one should build with care. I tell you, as a pastor... Those things ring in my ears. For no one can lay a foundation other than that one has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. Just like those builders found out one day, it came into light that there's no foundation under Lisa and Steve's house. And if there's no foundation under our ministry, and if it's not all about Jesus, if it's not for Him and His glory, His reputation, His fame, and His love, it's going to burn away. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. That includes your life. That includes my life. Wow. Our lives are going to be tested. Did they really build our lives upon Christ? If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but will be yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. It talks about the fact that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, there's some really, really, really good news. He's never going to let you go. He's never going to change his mind about you. You're His once that you have, by God's grace, given your heart to Jesus. And He even initiates with us so we can. The work of Christ is sufficient. God loves us and He's happy with us. He's no longer angry with us. we got such great news. But some of us don't go much beyond that. We just kind of live our lives just right there. We're not growing. And it says here in this passage, very interesting, 
your life and all the things you're doing are going to burn up unless you're building upon Christ. And the only way we do is three things. Okay, here they are. We've got to have, make sure they're according to the book, according to God's word. Second thing, we've got to make sure that it is built upon Jesus alone and it's all for his glory. In 1923, there's a guy in New York City named Harry uh, Emerson Fosdick. And he was being examined by the presbytery uh, in New York City. And this is what we got to do to be uh, uh, Presbyterian ministers. I don't you know, maybe you had to pass a bar exam or maybe in your life you had to do some things to become a doctor or a teacher or get certification. But for us as Presbyterian uh, ministers, we have to go before presbytery. They examine our, our views and they see if we are, quote unquote, ordainable, if we are able to be pastors. Well, this man, uh, uh, Mr. Fosdick, had an incredible call. He was called to First Presbyterian Church in New York City. And he was going to be interviewed. And this is in 1923. And he went before the presbytery and he says, you know, I'm having some difficulty with some of the things we believe. There's like five tenets that you all believe that I'm really wrestling with. And I'm not sure if they're true. And so... He said, they said, well, what, what are you wrestling with? Well, he says, let me tell you the five things. First of all, I don't believe really in the inerrancy of Scripture, which means that the God's Word doesn't contain errors. I think it's got some errors in there. I think it's not really what it says it is. I'm having a hard time with that. Oh, man, that's tough. Well, what else are you struggling with? He goes, oh, this virgin birth thing. I mean, come on. We're living in the 20th century. Who in the world talks nowadays about some woman when a Holy Spirit came upon her, you know, and all of a sudden she's going to have God's child? I mean, this virgin birth business. Isn't that a bit much? Aren't we too sophisticated to still believe the myth of a virgin birth? Hmm. It's kind of hard, but wait a minute. But if, if Mary... And Joseph had sex, and, and they conceived. And, and, and Joseph's a sinner, and Mary's a sinner. Then we don't have a sinless Savior. And if we don't have a sinless Savior, how can the Father accept him as a substitute? Oh, and they said, Oh, I got a problem with that too. I mean, to believe that Jesus died for my sins, the theory that Jesus took my sins on the cross, that he really paid the price, do we really believe that? Isn't that kind of like archaic? Do we believe that that bloody stuff on the cross, that Jesus would become a substitute for us, that you and I deserve death, we deserve God's wrath, but really Jesus was going to take it all so that we can live? Do we really believe that God was going to show his displeasure for my sin and pour it out on his spotless son, supposedly born of a virgin of Mary? Come on. Do we really need to believe that anymore? And not only that, I mean, we got this crazy business about a bodily resurrection. I mean, dead people don't rise, you know? I mean, come on. I know the book says that there's a lot of people who saw it. I know there are witnesses and all that stuff. But do we really have to believe that dead people or a one dead man, God named Jesus, rose from the dead? We don't need to believe that, do we? What about all these miracles? I mean, this is like Darwinism was coming into play and everybody in science was, was becoming God. And they're saying, we don't need to believe in miracles anymore. What's that miracle nonsense? Well, they didn't vote him in. <laughs> that year. But they did the next. There was a history professor at a seminary called Auburn Seminary. It's in upstate New York. And 
uh, he wrote something that became infamous. As a matter of fact, this history professor became infamously involved in the history of the church. He wrote something called the Auburn Affirmation. And he said in 1924, in, in, in uh, May of 1924, uh, 1,274 pastors, the Presbyterian pastors, got together in Syracuse, New York, pretty darn close to my home. Didn't even know this. And in 1924, they signed this Auburn Affirmation. They said, you know what? We don't need to believe those things anymore. Those are theories. And we can still be ordained ministers. And we can still do what we want to do. But we don't have to believe in this other nonsense. We're set free. Auburn is a city in upstate New York, and it's right at the end of the lake where my folks have a cottage. I grew up there. I never knew about this history. I never knew about this seminary. And that's the only thing that remains. It's a beautiful Tiffany chapel. You should see it. It's got one of the most incredible collections of Tiffany. All the chandeliers are Tiffany. It's beautiful. And I walk in there for a tour to this empty shell of nothing we're the only building that remains. The seminary has moved to New York. There's some existence. It's very liberal. And you walk in there and the lady finds out I'm a Presbyterian minister and she's so excited. And I say, well, tell me about the worship that happens in here. Oh, there's no worship in here. The only thing that happens is here is a couple of weddings. People think it's a real nice place for weddings. Occasionally memorial service. It's empty. It's nothing. It's gone. Why? Because they said we don't need to build on the truth. That the foundation that there's a living God and a living word and that Jesus is a core and the truth of Scripture that He was born of a virgin named Mary and He was sinless and He was your substitute and my substitute and He did rise from the dead. And there are miracles and he's, I'm one of them. He changed my life. I'm set free. And you, believer in Christ, you're a miracle. Listen, you throw those things away, forget it. Let's eat, drink, and party because we are dead in our sins. Throw those things away and we don't have a God who loves us. Throw those things away and we're not His. We're not forgiven. Throw those away and it's nothing. We might as well be rotary. Nothing against rotary. Sorry. I'm going to get some letters on that one. Do you understand? you understand? We throw these things away. This is not building on the phone. We're lost. I've been found. I've been rescued. I've been set free. You know why they did it? They did it for the unity of the church. They wanted to have more people involved that can have different views. And everybody can kind of get along. And let's take away the offensive stuff. As long as I'm pastor of Orangewood Christian Presbyterian Church and Christian School, by God's grace and it's for His glory, and elders hold me accountable, we're going to build on Christ. We're going to build on His Word. It's all gone. Katie and I dropped off our daughter at Covenant College, and what an incredible joy to go to a place where everything they do is, it says this, that they got a motto, it's this, in all things, Christ is preeminent, which means he's over all things. He's number one. He's the point, the purpose. He's the whole reason for all things. Christ is preeminent. And you go up there and you drop off your most precious love of your life, your child, and, and, your, and the coaches and the teachers are all saying, in all things, Christ preeminent. It's, it's awesome. It's a reminder. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And we even got housed in these little cottages next to the dorm. And I, I went into the restroom and it told us what we can flush and what we can't flush. And it said, in all things, Christ preeminent. And I said, man, I think they're taking a little far here. But... Uh, 
You see, there's vanity of ministry without Christ. There's toil without Jesus' vanity. It says this. It says you can wake up early in the morning. Uh, you can wake up early in the morning. You can go to bed late at night. But if you're doing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Listen, you, some of you might be banging your head against the wall. You may be trying to earn the American dream or, 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 or living your life trying to find favor with your neighbor and with God. And, but if you're doing the wrong thing, it really stinks. It really crumbles. I don't know about you, but um, I hate driving the wrong way. Uh, guys, you know when you just realize you're going the wrong way and you just wasted maybe 20, 30 miles? I become unrecognizable. And I think I'm Mario Andretti. And I put everybody in risk, ask my family, to get back on track as fast as I can because I hate going the wrong way. It drives me crazy. I'm going the wrong Does it matter if you're going the wrong way how well you're driving? Does it matter if you're going the wrong way, how fast you're going? Does it matter what kind of car you're in if you're going the wrong way? I mean, if you're going the wrong way, what else matters? Well, we got, you know, we got, you know, satellite radio. This is great. Forget it. You're going the wrong way. And what God's word is saying is, is this. In your life, in my life, does it matter what we do, what we accomplish, what we build about our name if we're doing it the wrong way? Does it really matter I mean, what if we get to the end of our lives and we realize that we were wrong? It wasn't about a career. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about sex. It wasn't about popularity. It was about Jesus and making him famous and known, being incredibly loved by him, being set free by him, and telling his story with your life. That's the right way. And yeah, there are going to be some potholes, and yeah, there's going to be some difficulties, and there's going to be some tears, because there were tears and potholes in Jesus' life, but you got a God who walks with you, a God who will never leave you, a God who loves you. That's the right way, unless the Lord builds the house. How is it with you? I mean, are you building your life, your marriage, your, your, your children on Christ? And don't you think for a minute that your job doesn't matter? Your career, your, your neighbors, your, your whole thing. It's got to be built on the Word for the glory of God with the foundation of Jesus. That's what it's all about. There's toiling. There's toiling in this. There's ministry that is failing. I love it says the Lord is our shepherd. He's the one who will give us bread that nourishes. He's the one that will provide rest. Let me show you this next picture. Uh, the toil without Jesus is vanity. The Lord is our shepherd. I mean, let me, let's buzz ahead to the next picture. Pretty church, isn't it? You should see it's right on the corner. It's in Auburn, too. It's awesome. It's, it's right on the corner of a busy street called Genesee Street. And uh, uh, we call it Route 20. And it's beautiful. And I just think about what kind of dedication services do these two churches have? They're empty. Do you know there's a for sale sign on that church? There's a for sale sign. Unbelievable. I drive by them and year after year, more and more churches have closed down. More of them are for sale. More of them are empty. And I make a joke to our children, say these are sanctuaries without a church. We're a church without a sanctuary. (laughs) I'll take ours. I'll take ours. I'll take ours. What went wrong? I mean, just picture the dedication service on that church. That, look, look, look at all the stones. Look at how beautiful. I mean, think how they cut those stones. Think about the design of having put one on top of another. Look at all those bricks. 
And if you could see, if you can't see, it says it's like, it's like 1840 in that corner, that right one, or when they started to lay that foundation. Just think of, think of the celebration. Think of the picnic they had. Think of the joy. What went wrong? They're selling them. Jesus left the building. Some people thought it'd be a little bit wiser, a little smarter, a little bit better if they just got away with some of these miracle stuff and this virgin birth stuff and building on Jesus stuff and let's just do it on our own and let's do it on our own strength. And you know what happens? They're empty. That's vanity, folks. That's vanity. And that's my life without Jesus. It's empty. And that's my life without being redeemed by the King. It's, it's useless. And God might as well put a for sale sign but being filled with the Holy Spirit, being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm His. So are you, child of the living God. That's excitement. Where are you with your life? Is it vanity? Is it van- are you getting up early in the morning, working harder and harder and harder, making more and more money in this tough economy for nothing? Are we building on Jesus? There's a security of a godly heritage, and i got to hurry. In verses 3-5 through five in Psalm 127, Let's turn back to Psalm 127. I love the fact, this is, is this not the perfect psalm for us? It basically says, unless God's in it, it's useless. And now it's going to talk about children. <laughs> what are, we, what are we, we building? Education building? Children are an heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man and woman in the household whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the courts. What's that saying? It's basically saying this. Their children in this culture were their 401ks, their inheritance that was their future. It's making sure that they had a security. You see, the security for this church by God's grace and design. Now listen, it's Jesus, but it's a godly heritage. I mean, this Olympics, has it not had some great moments? Has anybody else screamed at a TV set for a swimming match or a swimming, <laughs> what do you call those things, not heat, swimming event? I mean, I'm screaming at him. I mean, you guys not scream for Michael Phelps? Isn't that exciting? I mean, one one-hundredth of a second winning a gold medal. I mean, it's unbelievable. USA. I mean, it's this awesome time. It's incredible. But we've also had some low moments. Do you know that both our men and women's runner, track runners in a relay, both of them were disqualified for dropping the baton? I mean, the race is over. I mean, all those years, all the sweat, all the difficulty. You know, the race is over. It's done. You're DQ'd. You're out of there. Forget a medal. Hang your head. And they do. There's a baton. Oh, my goodness. I heard the, uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee. I heard this on ESPN. Very reliable. <laughs> Always listening, making sure they got very reliable. I was listening to them, and they said, uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee is forming a committee to investigate passing of the baton. I'm thinking, I want to be on that committee. I mean, that's, that's something I could do. I mean, okay, you hand it to the next guy. Okay, okay, that's good. There you go. <laughs> hand it to him. Get it to him. And they run. Good, okay, all right. Investigation over. Church of the Living God, Orangewood community, Orangewood family, we cannot fail to pass the baton of faith to our children, to the children in this community. Some of you say, well, I don't have children. If you're a member of this church, you have children. We're a family. We're a community. We tell you, these are yours and ours together. God has blessed this community. Somebody has passed a baton to you, and some of you didn't have a godly heritage. I love hearing this story. Some of you didn't have that. 
But God has given you that baton. It's our goal to pass on the baton. This building is passing on the baton. This church is going to be about kids. This church is going to be about children. We believe in a covenant God. We believe that God loves us and our kids. We believe that they've got to be warriors. This is, this, this is war motif. These are, these, are, these are warriors that need to be trained. These are warriors. And the hand of a warrior is a child who's going to go out and fight for Jesus and say, truth is truth and I want to lay my life down for him. It's raising up young men and women who love Jesus and want to even die for him. Maybe even having some martyrs out of our, our, our church that are so in love with Jesus that they'd go somewhere and, and surrender their life for the cause of Christ. We want to raise them here. We want them to be, yes, protected here. But this Christian school is not to keep you from the terrible things in the public school. Because God is there doing great things too. It's to raise up warriors. Our children's ministry isn't to keep your kids just comfortable and safe. It's to train them. It's to equip them. It's Zach's passion. It's B.A.'s passion. We believe that God has called us to train young children to love Jesus. But we also believe this. It's not our primary responsibility. It's yours. And God has called you to do it. And Christian education is not only for those who go to a Christian school. It's for every single parent. Deuteronomy 6. When you raise up, when your children rise up, when they lay down, you press this upon them. When you sit down with them, you talk to them about a living God. When you teach them, when you eat with them, it's got to be all about Jesus. The foundation in your home, in my home, has got to be all about Jesus. It's not just our responsibility. That building is here to assist you, not to stand in replacement of you. But we've got to pass the baton. Um, some of the, one of my favorite uh, friends in my life recently is a guy named Eric Appen. Um, a great story. I've gotten permission to tell a story. Uh, he and Lisa have a beautiful boy named Cole. And, uh, he, you know, he's a, he's a Georgia Tech engineer, so pray for him. Uh, they run a store called Appenberries, and uh, they send their son to a preschool. Not to this one, uh, to a Methodist preschool, I believe. And he comes home talking about Bible stories. And they ask questions, or he asks questions that they can't answer. So Lisa comes to church. She comes here. She takes a class discovering Christianity. She says, okay, I get it. What do I got to do? And she comes to faith, and for about a year, she prays for her husband. A few months ago, he emailed me and said, hey, can we get together and talk? And there at breakfast, he told me, he says, you know, after one of your sermons, I gave my life to Christ. I remember taking that first communion and just knowing that I've been forgiven. They had a little boy named Cole who came home and asked questions about Jesus. And Jesus rescued a family. That's why we have that. Well, we have that. We want more stories like that. We want God to raise up so much more and say, through the lips of children, set us free. The elders and I and the deacons were up at Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lacanto, Florida. It's a church in the middle of stinking nowhere. I mean, nowhere. I mean, they got more cows than anything. I mean, it's just out in the nowhere. And their church is bigger than ours, and I hate them for it. And, uh, um, and they got this sanctuary. It's just gorgeous. I mean, it's Gothic, French Gothic, and I hate them for it. I mean, it's just, 
we toured the facility, and you know, even their children's ministry space. I mean, if we've got to be honest, that's better than ours. Hate them for it. I'm just telling all the listen, we're not going to covet, right? I'm like, oh, God, I'm coveting. I'm coveting. Um, but I'm happy for the gospel up there. But the point is, they said this, you know, the majority of our congregations are senior saints. We have one part-time employee for the senior saints. We have six employees for those 18 years and younger younger, because we're investing in kids. Because we believe that's the heritage in the future. And we're asking some of you to sacrifice here in our church at Seven Rivers so that we cannot forbid, so we can teach the little children to love Jesus. That's why we have a Christian school. That's why we have Maitland Community Preschool. That's why. Because we want this place not to be a museum in a hundred years. We don't want somebody to look at this building and say, what happened? What happened? How is it with your life? You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, what happened? Going the wrong way. You missed the truth. Here's the truth as we close. There's a God who is, and there's really good news. He is holy, and you're going to have to stand before him, and so am I. And we're in trouble because all of us are sinners. But his son was born of a virgin. His inerrant word tells us so. And this son born of a virgin, his name is Jesus. And we can't even give him that name. He had to give it, God had to give us his name because why? He saves his people. This Jesus came to live the life that you were supposed to live and that I were supposed to live, but we failed and we messed it up. But there's really good news. He didn't. He didn't mess up. He not only was born sinless, he remained sinless. He was tempted just like you and me in every way. But differently because he was all God. And he was all man. And he did miracles. I mean miracles. He walked on water. He raised a buddy of his named Lazarus. He healed blindness. He was amazing. You know what? He was a friend of sinners. That's good news because I'm a sinner. Are you? And this man named Jesus was willing to crawl on a Roman cross and let love pierce his flesh and let blood of God flow so that sinners like you and me can be cleansed. And and, and then somehow in God's incredible love and plan, He's going to let Jesus' death count for yours and mine. And He's going to take all that righteousness, all the good things that Jesus did, the perfection, and He's going to give it to us. An incredible exchange happens on the cross. He takes our junk. We get His righteousness. And here's how we get it. Not church membership. Not by tithes and offerings. Here's how we get it. We get it by God's grace. Because He loves sinners like us. And He says, if you've got faith, and I'm going to give it to you, you're going to be mine. I'm going to make you clean. And I'm never going to let you go. Is that not good news? That's worth telling our children. That's worth telling our community. That's making sure that we build our lives on Him. We're going to have an offering. Um, and our church is in the end of our fiscal budget. And if we weren't at the end of the fiscal budget, I may say, just come on up here with the offering. But we need to pass the plates today. And if you're visiting with us, you're our guest. If you're not, dig in deep. Um, <laughs> but this isn't because we're trying to earn God's love. This is because we got God's love. We have God's love.
We got God's love. I'm an educator, you know? We can build an education. We got God's love. Sorry. Let's pray. And Father, what we do got, we do have, is all by your design and grace. It's true of Orangewood. We have nothing that you didn't give us. It's true of our lives. It's true of our families. And Father, we want to give our lives back to you. Father, we want to dedicate our lives to you. Father, because your son dedicated his life to you and to us. And Father, I pray for anyone here today that realizes through this message that they are not building their life on Christ the solid rock. They, they may be like Eric was several months ago, realizing that he needs Jesus as a Savior. If there's a man, a woman, or child here today that's realizing that, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause them to pray along with me, just saying, Father, I want to know you, and I want to love you. And I want to be loved by you. And I embrace your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive my sins and come into my life and make me a part of your family. Father, thank you for your spirit moving in people's lives. And thank you for any of those today that have prayed that prayer that are now a part of your family. But for all of us, all of us, young child to the oldest saint here to the visitor, may we all build our house upon Christ the solid rock and dedicate our life to him. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.